this is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. You might remember this scene from The Matrix, 1999 film that came out on March 31st, which is my birthday. This makes me just wonder some things. Neo was offered a chance to see behind reality as we know it. Morpheus explains to Neo there is a reality which we cannot see, a reality which enslaves us in this reality. And unfortunately, Morpheus says, no one can be told what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Well, this is the kind of experience that Job is having, a troubled and confusing relationship with God. The God who is on both sides of, the reality, of reality, that which Job can see and that which Job cannot see. And the readers of the book of Job, to read the Bible for that matter, is kind of like taking the red pill. To see behind the reality which seems simple to us and see behind it to a more complex, perhaps more colorful even, world. We think the world is complex and that we need someone to help make it simple. And this is true in some respects. But could it also be the other way around? We want the world to be simple. Because then in a simple world, we understand everything. We can control everything. We can own a simple understanding ourselves. But suffering has a way of challenging our simplicity. When we start to suffer, we start to ask questions like, why? Why? It's not so simple anymore. Suffering, especially when it seems unjust, has a way of challenging a simple understanding of our existence. That's what's happening in the book of Job. Job and his friends are now in an ongoing conversation about why. Why? Is Job suffering? The situation is this. Job's friends have all taken the blue pill. They only see, they only want to see the world in front of them. Life is simple. Good people get good things and bad people have bad things come to them. Job is suffering. So Job must have done something bad. But Job himself is actually in a confused place. Job won't take the blue pill. That is, he won't boil life down to only that which he can see. 
He believes in God and he worships God. He trusts God even though what he is suffering doesn't seem to be connected to something that he did. But Job also seems to be unable to take the red pill himself either. He can't see into the matrix, so to speak. He doesn't know why God is doing what God is doing. He cannot see all that God is doing and know why. Maybe you go back with me to Job chapter 1 verse 1 and see the setting of Job. How we got into this conversation between Job and his friends, which is 80% of the book of Job. A conversation between Job and his friends. The there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. The simple wisdom of the day, and as I was talking with Cal this morning, for the covenant Jews, the Jews who were in covenant with God, the simple wisdom on earth says Job should be a very, very blessed man. God does good things to good people. He does good things to people who keep faith with Him and who obey Him. That's a common wisdom in the world. And Job is blessed. We continue to read the next few verses. Job is so rich, Elon Musk would look at him and say, I want to read that guy's book. And then Job inexplicably loses it all. Why? We're told the cause. We're not necessarily told the purpose in full in the book of Job. We are told the cause. God is the cause. God is the cause of it all. God grants Satan the permission to take everything from Job, even his own health, his children, his cattle, his home, everything. Everything except his wife who is left to tempt him to curse God. Job still worships God. He keeps his faith worshiping God. So, so that's the lesson, right? When God brings us to great disproportionate suffering, what seems like it to us in sin, then we just got to keep worshiping God. And, and the lesson in Job. No, that's the question in Job. Why would a blameless, righteous man suffer? Yes, Job did thing, but the setting in chapters 1 through 3 are the beginning of the question that the book of Job is trying to answer. Why? Why? Well, his first friend who decides to finally speak up, Eliphaz, tries to simplify Job's suffering the first point this morning of three. Eliphaz tries to simplify Job's suffering. Then we'll see Job's reply. We'll see how this relates to Christ. Eliphaz tries to simplify Job's suffering. The way I would put it as we walk through this and give a good chunk of time to Eliphaz's counsel in chapters 4 and 5 would be that Eliphaz is trying to give blue pill answers to red questions about suffering. Simple answers to a more complex situation. The quick answer, simple answer, 
Job, or begins in chapter 4, verse 2. Six times in Job's morning in chapter 3, he asked the question, why? He asked questions like, why was I allowed to be born? Why did, I, why did God ever let me see light in the first place? Finishes his morning in Job 3.26 saying, I'm, I'm not at ease, I'm, I'm not quiet, I have no rest, but I'm filled with trouble. Trouble comes. Now watch what happens. Job's friends can't stay quiet. Simplicity can't stand complexity very long. This is simple, Eliphaz gets to. We have to get to the answers. Why? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to get to the answers? We're, we're anxious. Suffering begs questions about the world that need answering now. But Eliphaz doesn't have much time for asking why along with Job. He has simple answers. Job chapter 4 verse 2, he says, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? I wonder if, is that your way that you think? Is that the limited way that you think about your problems? Find the simplest answer. Don't take too long thinking about the world, about your life, about your suffering. Don't leave yourself open to something bigger, something deeper, something more spiritual, potentially something even more painful, more difficult, more complex. Just rush to the simple answer. And be free. What if you're keeping yourself from finding what really matters? Keeping yourself from knowing what is really going on in the world? What God is doing? Keeping yourself from a genuine hopefulness in the sovereignty of God? Let me just give you this encouragement. Don't be like Job's friend. Don't rush in impatiently in your questions about suffering and about the world. Don't let impatience lead you to settle for simple, insufficient answers. We'll see later that Job doesn't settle for Eliphaz's answers. He will not settle for overly simplistic understanding of his suffering. If your suffering has led you to ask big questions, keep asking and asking and asking and let them lead you to God. Eliphaz's simple answer number one. It's knowledge. What you're going through, Job, is really a matter of common knowledge. Look at Job chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. This would be a good place to say, as we go through the book of Job in a couple of months to come, we'll be taking some pretty big sections at a time. And I hope you can see this morning, there's two chapters of Eliphaz, there's two chapters of Job's response, chapter 6 and 7. Those are a unit. They're meant to be taken together, but that means we have a lot of text to work through in order to address that unit. Where we get the main meaning in some of these passages from. Look at Job chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Simple answer one, it's common knowledge. Remember, Job, who that who was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap fame. By the breath of God they perish. And by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the, vo- the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of the cubs of the lion. Job thinks, excuse me, Eliphaz is saying, Job, bad things happen to bad people. It's, it's as simple as the natural laws in the lion kingdom, Job. 
It doesn't matter how wonderfully strong the lion is, if there's no prey, the lion dies. Friends, I wonder if that's your limited view of the world as well. Is that a counsel that you have given to others? Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Is that all that you believe about yourself? About others? Job's friends want to clear up the confusion with something like common knowledge. And not just common knowledge about nature, they say. It's common knowledge about God. The breath of God brings them to perish. And by the blast of His anger, sinners are consumed. Is that enough to explain why the world is the way it is? I think we have to be honest and say it's not. It doesn't answer all of our questions. We're glad when someone who has been unjustly imprisoned is released when DNA testing proves why, because we think it's just. Yet we tend to wince a little bit when we see the most evil people win the providential lottery of the world. It doesn't seem right to us. We're thrown into confusion when the sweetest old lady has her purse stolen. Why? The common sense morality of good comes to good and bad comes to bad doesn't answer all of our questions. It's a system that can't understand Job's situation. Simple answer number two. A spirit spoke to me in the night. Look at Job chapter 4, read verses 12 through 21. This is hopeful. looks like we're going to be breaking through from our side of reality to that invisible reality. Job 4, 12 through 21. Now a word was brought to me stealthily. This is Job's friend to him. My ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the nights when deep sleep falls on men. Dread came over me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I, I couldn't discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence, and then, Job, I heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust. In his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are beaten to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die, and that without wisdom? Well, isn't that great? It's one thing to have ghosts. It's another thing to be conveniently haunted by a philosophical ghost. This is a powerful argument, which sounds like what Job needs. A word from the other side. That when the ghostly voice speaks, what does he say? What everyone already knows. No one's right before God, Job. 
Is there anyone who's pure before his maker, Job? We've seen in the world that works this way, Job. So why does the friend speak this way? It's terrifying. It's hair-raising to hear about a midnight spirit talking to you. You can tell this is the intention of Job's friend to access the place of fear and awe inside Job to convince Job that he found something true. He found something that reveals Job is a sinner and deserves this. But the truth that he actually conveys is just nothing new. Discredit Job's purity and you can't understand why God would do this. Maybe you can scare your friend into thinking that you're right. Claim that you have a word from from a voice, from a spirit. It would actually be really helpful if you had something to add to the conversation. As it is, Job's friend comes up with a cheap attempt to scare Job. Friends, let me encourage you, don't be tricked into the same old simple answers about life because someone told you a ghost story or claimed a supernatural event or claimed they have a word for you. Don't let spiritual sensations keep you from actually knowing God as He has revealed Himself. It doesn't help Job. Be like Job in this case. Don't settle for anything less than hearing from God. And your search to understand, don't stop short at a spiritual sensationalism that feels its way around and that hears whispers in the night, even religious feeling experience. Keep asking questions until you find the truth from the mouth of God. This is what Job wants. Simple answer number three, don't act confused. A man is born to trouble. Simple answer number three from Job's friend, Don't act confused. A man is born for trouble. Look at Job chapter 5, verse 2. Surely vexation, that's an anger and an emotion that is so strong you've just lost your mind. Vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. Job 5, look at verses 6 and 7. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. How can you act like you don't know, Job? Don't don't be such a fool, Job. The answers are are simple. Where does affliction come from, Job? It doesn't grow on trees. You ever hear a parent tell their kids money doesn't grow on trees? You've got Job's friend saying trouble doesn't just grow up out of the ground. Your words are nonsense, Job. Look what he says in verse 7. His conclusion, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. That explains what is happening, Job. Everyone is bad, and we are made bad, and we're all born bad, so Job, you're bad. Don't act so confused. Well, this is actually a true doctrine. Ephesians 2 says that we are all by nature children of wrath. Romans 3 says we're very simply there that there is none who are righteous, there are none who do good, there are none who seek God. You have to help a child learn how to walk. But you don't have to teach them to hit, to bite, to cry, to grab, or scream. And later, you don't have to teach them to lie, to cheat, or steal. So, Job, you should know that because of the doctrine of depravity, that you can't be without sin. All sinners are destined for disaster. That's how this makes sense. Only what does that leave out? Well, who is in control of the world? God? Sin? Man? Evil? Nothing? 
randomness, chance? Are we in a world where God is sovereign or we're a world where we're only subject to the forces of sin and our own consequences? And that world doesn't have an answer for Job's situation. More righteous than anyone, more blessed than anyone, and more suffering than anyone. Eliphaz is not entirely wrong, but because he forgets God's sovereignty over sin and evil and Satan and the world, he's completely wrong about Job. Yes, the doctrine of depravity is true, Eliphaz, but Job seems to be an anomaly. Now what are you going to do? There's no simple answer. Simple answer number four, Job 5, 8 through 16. Job, just take it to God. Take it to God. Job chapter 5, verse 8. As for me, Eliphaz says, I would seek God. And to God I would commit my cause. Well, well that's, that's helpful. That, that sounds like he's getting close to something amazing. Look what he says in verse 9, the next verse. Commit myself to God who does great things and unsearchable marvelous things without number. That sounds like what we read in our pastoral prayer from Romans 11. Who can search the mind of God? Oh, here, here's Eliphaz. Getting, he's going to help us now. Things we couldn't imagine. Things too wonderful. Go, go ahead and, and, and break through the earthly idea of morality and justice and get us to, to some understanding for, for Job. Open to us the unsearchable things of God, Eliphaz. And look what he says in chapter 5, verse 10 through 16. Here's the great unsearchable things of God. He gives rain on the earth. And he sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. And the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noonday as in the night. But he, God, saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope and the injustice shuts her mouth. And injustice shuts her mouth. Well, it was close. But it doesn't answer Job's dilemma. God saves the poor. He thwarts the plans of those who try to get crafty with him. So what? Everyone who has never opened their Bible might say that about God. It's the same old simple answer about God. That's not actually so unsearchable. Everyone already thinks that way. God is against the bad guys and saves the poor, the helpless people. That's, that's our hope. That's why we even go to God, sometimes sinfully in our victim mentality instead of in our sin. We're hoping that He'll have pity on us and save us and see us as the ones to whom bad things have happened rather than the ones to have done bad things. We've sinned against God. Therefore, we're deathly and rightfully so afraid of Him. Take it to God and find the unsearchable wisdom. Well, that's not it. Simple answer number five. This is just God's discipline. Chapter 6, verse 17 to 27. Look at verses... 17 and 18. Eliphaz says to Job, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but heal. 
Ah, Job, God is just disciplining you for your sin. Let's not call it punishment, Job. Let's call it corrective or formative discipline. He's he's going to go do something good with this, Job. I just know it. He wounds and he binds up. He shatters, but he heals. Won't God do it, Job? Oh, Job, just admit your sin and enjoy God's loving discipline. It's that simple, Job. Suffering is really just God's discipline. Redefine your suffering as discipline, and Job, we can all make sense out of it. Job won't have it. He maintains his innocence before God. All of Eliphaz's answers I would summarize this way. An illustration for this morning. Blue pill answers. Those answers, we, even when there was a word from a ghost, just plain common sense answers about justice, morality, and God that continually don't measure up to Job's actual situation. That he's a blameless man before God. That he was very, very blessed. And now for some reason unknown to him and his friends, he has suffered the loss of everything he knows to be good. And they know God's the one doing this. It doesn't make sense. And common sense, simple answers aren't the answer. Job would rather continue worshiping God in his suffering when his suffering doesn't make sense than admit an overly simplistic idea of suffering and the justice of God which he knows don't answer all of the why questions in his life. He would rather worship God unknowing than to admit something simple that doesn't answer all of his questions. Look what he says in Job chapter 6 verse 2 following from one of Eliphaz's vexation in which kills the fool. Job responds to that and says to his friend Eliphaz, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balances, all my trouble, all my heartache, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. You want to talk about my vexation, Eliphaz? I wish you could feel the weight of it. My vexation crushes your simple answers to life. You and your ghost and your fortune cookie proverbs. God's arrows are in me. This is not stubbing my toe in the middle of the night trying to learn a lesson. My spirit itself is drinking the poison of God's arrows. And you want to talk about everyone sins, Job. Just God's discipline, Job. Spirit told me, none pure before God, Job. And hear Job's faithfulness to God when simple answers aren't enough. Job 6, verse 8 through 10. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please Him to crush me, and that He would let loose His hand, quit holding me by a thread, and cut me off. In other words, Job is saying, I wish God would hear my request and just let me die. Just be done. 
And when he died, this would be his comfort, verse 10. This would be my comfort. If I could just die now, this would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing. For I have not denied the words of the Holy One. I would rather just die and get it over with than take your simple answers and admit something that's not true. Job can die saying he did not deny God's words. He could die comforted by the fact that he did not deny God by accepting what is not true. Even though he doesn't understand all things God is doing. Here Job is keeping with the words that he shared with his wife back in chapter 2 verse 10. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Now it may seem like Job's getting more confusing, the book itself. All these aren't the answer. Job doesn't have the answers. Yet Job continues to say that he has not sinned against God. Look at chapter 6, verse 25. He says to his friend, how forceful are your upright words. Yeah, you've got a lot of true things to say. But what does reproof from you reprove? I hear what you're saying, but it's... It's not sticking to my situation. It's a lot of true things, Eliphaz, so far as they go, but what do they say about me? You're correcting my mourning and my grief and my questions, but you're not giving me real answers. And Job continues in what he began in verse 121. This is his theology. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How is that possible? That Job should suffer if he's blameless and even be so bold and daring as to continue to worship God in the midst of his suffering. Well, the answer is complex. It's complex. Don't hear confusing when I say complex. God is not confusing. 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul says it very explicitly. God is not a God of confusion. God's not a God who just loves keeping mankind disoriented, dumb, and in the dark. That's not what is meant by complex. No, this is a complexity that you, in some ways, you can maybe grasp easier if you are a child. Last night, one of our kids had a friend over to the house, and on her own at dinner, she said, it's a scare, scary to think about being judged by God. She said the Sunday school teacher was talking about heaven and how wonderful it would be, and a teacher started crying, and I couldn't tell if she was happy or sad. And Colette said, she's probably happy. And the child replied, probably sad too. Eliphaz has a simple, logical system. Good, bad, white, black. But that system can't comprehend all of God's ways and plans. It's like an operating system that can't handle the new software. I had that situation last year with a computer in my office. It was 11 years old. There came the, and it came time to download the new operating system. And the computer basically said, yep, can't do that. Can't handle 
that new system. When we come to Job, we get a problem an earthly system can't handle. And Job does give us the reason of cause. Why? God is the cause. It's very clear. No one's asking that question in the book of Job. Who did this? Everyone knows that it's God. God allowed that. Even Job's friends knew that God is the cause. That's part of their argument. But what neither Job nor his friends know is why, for what purpose. God's always the cause. And redemption through Jesus Christ is always the purpose. Through history, God is always the cause. And redemption through Jesus Christ is always the purpose. Why would God ever let a righteous man suffer in the history of the world? Why would God ever do a thing like that? It makes no sense. It goes against everything He said in the Garden of Eden. That's how the world is supposed to work. God gives good things to to good people who do good things and bad things to bad people who do bad things. What purpose would God ever have for letting a blameless and a righteous man suffer in His plan on the earth? The book of Job doesn't answer that question. It just says God is the cause. The purpose that God would ever do such a thing is in Jesus Christ. The confusion of the complexity of Job is solved in the cross of Jesus Christ. The confusion of the complexity of Job is cured, solved in the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross of Jesus, God is sovereign over evil men. At the cross, God sent His only sinless Son to suffer. At the cross, Jesus loses life. At the cross, the greatest injustice in the history of the world occurred. Mankind killed the sinless Son of God. Why? Why would God not only cause this injustice and plan this injustice But even by virtue of the Trinity, take on this injustice. Why allow the sinless Son of God to die and suffer? Here is the only answer for the complexity of the sinless, suffering Savior. The God-glorifying Love for sinners. Love. The answer for the complexity of the sinless, suffering Son of God is love. Romans 5, 7-8 says it like this, One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not only did Jesus suffer a great injustice and undeserving death, He did it for you and for me, sinners. You think Job is backwards? That's backwards. He died on the cross so that all your sins against God could be forgiven. He, he did it because of how the world works. God is to punish sinners. That, that makes sense. We, we deserve God's judgment, the, the wages, the, the payment, the, the, the penalty for our sin against a holy God is that we deserve to have our lives taken away forever. And we've sinned against God by lying, by using other people, by our anger, by our pride, by our murderous and greedy hearts. We've sinned against God and Eliphaz is right. We're born for trouble. We deserve to die. I want you to just think about the question from Job's friend Eliphaz back in chapter 4 verse 7. The question that just begging to have a, a different answer than Eliphaz could ever imagine giving. Remember, Job, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Just listen to Eliphaz's question and let the New Testament answer it. Who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Who? Name one, Job, that was actually innocent, who actually perished. The New Testament answer is, well, Jesus. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God let Jesus, His own Son, not even just Job, Job is kind of like a shadow picture of Jesus to come. Why let that sinless man take all the suffering that's due the sin of the world because of God's love? And so there at the cross, all the complexity of sovereignty of sin and God's plan and His will, all the complexity of sovereignty over darkness and Satan, and God has His way with Pontius Pilate. God is orchestrating His sovereignty over the people of Israel. God is orchestrating His sovereignty through His Son. God is orchestrating His plan to see Jesus die on the cross and all the complexities in the world about God's justice and what He's willing to do and who He's willing to submit to suffering for His glory all come together at the cross where Jesus dies to show that God loves us. Something so simple. And we deserve judgment. And God has ordered the world, even the sin and terror and suffering of the world, so that Christ might suffer and die for our sins. Whatever the world looks like to you, Jesus is not to be Jay, the simple answer. Displaying God's love in the world of His complex sovereign rule. If you've never believed in Jesus, maybe today you would realize that Jesus is the more complex and the more simple answer at once. Maybe you didn't realize that God would do things that you couldn't imagine Him doing to you or others or to your aunts or to your neighbor. 
consider God's sovereignty over sin and darkness, what he would allow in Job's life, what he allowed Christ to go through, and all the designs that he had in Jesus dying for you. Surely in the simple order of things, we all deserve death and judgment from God. But in his sovereign plan, he lets his blameless son suffer in your place. He rose his son from the dead. That son now lives forever, never to die again, so that all who hope in him, all who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, will never see the death that we deserve, the eternal kind of death. Romans 6 says, We were buried, therefore, all those who put their faith in Christ, we were buried, therefore, with Him into baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. As He died and He rose, if we put our faith in Him, we will be united with Him in a death and a life like His. That means that we will live with God forever. And just believe and trust, looking at the cross of Jesus Christ, all the most complex aspects of the sovereignty of God's will and rule and reign over sin, displaying the love God has for sinners by Christ being crucified for you. Trust in Christ today. And Christians, grow in complexity. Is your view of God true to who He is? That He is sovereign in ways you maybe haven't even enjoyed yet? You might think, well, that's not the case. I feel like I know who God is. Well, have you been complaining this week? Have you been frustrated this week? Have you been angry at God for anything? Have you thought that maybe God didn't know what He was doing? Have you thought, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't seem fair? Christians grow in your understanding of the complex sovereignty of God over sin and evil and all the world and His will. Listen to a sermon that was preached on September 11th in Washington, D.C. The pastor had this to say about complexity, and I think that you'll find it helpful. Christians are complex people. The more mature, the more complex. And I mean emotionally complex, not simple. Because life is complex. The Bible is complex. If you open your eyes when you read the Bible, and you open your eyes when you walk through the world, you will conclude that this is a horrible place. And this is a beautiful place. You cannot see those if you have you... You cannot not see those if you have your eyes... You see it in the Bible, you see it in the world. There is a horrible world and it is a beautiful world. He says, this church has graciously given me six weeks of an apartment, which is right over there. And there's a tree outside the window. And it had one orange leaf on it when we came. And now there are uncountable. And in a week or two when I'm gone, it'll be glorious. You will walk out your front door in this beautiful city, leaves changing colors, with all of its murders, and you will be a complex person. Because if you walk through this world with a heart to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice, you will be complex because the world is always worth crying about. And it's always worth rejoicing about. That's our life in this world. 
Christians, take the red pill, so to speak. Open your Bible, grow in your understanding of what God has done and what God is willing to do. I want to say so much Christian growth, I believe, is stumped by this process. I find myself suffering. I find myself in sin. I find myself suffering someone else's sin and forgetting that we are sinners and deserve God's wrath, we began to think the world doesn't make sense. It's not fair. And we're just like Eliphaz. I don't have a category for, for why God would let these things happen. And then we either lose faith altogether, or we live miserably, hiding our doubt in religious activity, covering up the fact that we're actually just really disappointed that God didn't make it better for me. See what God is willing to do, not only in Job's life, but in Christ. And that getting into those complexities about God's sovereignty over sin, God's sovereignty in the world, and and God doing something which seems so unjust is actually the only way that He could display His love for us in Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing in the world. For Job, sitting in this complexity meant mourning without cursing God and suffering. Job is right to remain in his state of confusion as to why God would do this. He continues to cry out to God about his suffering and he ends this way in chapter 7, verse 20 to 21, the section for this week. If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. I'm going to die soon. Job couldn't grasp that if God did find sin, why He did this. Isn't it wonderful that we, though we see the complexity of what God is willing to do, that behind the veil of our reality we see that God is sovereign over sin and suffering. And isn't it wonderful that we are not left in confusion, even if we're left in a complex world, For unlike Job, we know the cause, but in Christ we can also know the purpose for God allowing any suffering in the world. We know that Christ dying on the cross, that great complex injustice for sinners, was God's just way of showing His love and forgiving those who sinned against Him. Let's pray.